0: Amen. (coughs) Some of you know that before I started here on staff almost four years ago at Exodus, I worked for a company that was based out of Denver, Colorado, and I did multimedia training with them. And so once or twice a month, I would go to Denver to meet with my boss and uh, just have different meetings. In fact, it's a funny story. My boss, he was, was very difficult to get a hold of. He would never return phone calls. He would never reply back to emails, and there were times when I needed to just, you know, communicate something from him. So I learned that the best way to get an answer from him was to actually fly to Denver and show up in his office, and then you could ask him a question, and he could give you the answer to the question, and then you were pretty much done and could go off and do your own thing. wasn't very efficient, but it's just the way that it worked. So anyway, w- I, we made several trips. I made several trips to, to Denver on one particular Friday, snowy, Tuesday morning, Pam was with me, and we flew into Denver, took a 6 a.m. flight out of Indy, flew in there, landed about 8.30, went and rented a car, I think it was probably a 2010 white Chevy Lumina. I don't know why that sticks out in my mind, but I just remember getting it. And we started on the trek on the interstate to go to where my company's offices were. Now, it was snowing, which is beautiful in Denver. I love the snow there. And the speed limit was probably 70 miles an hour, and I was probably going 45, 25 miles an hour under, which is very, very... Uh, conservative, and now, most of you know that if I wasn't a pastor, I would be a professional race car driver, so I was very confident in my skills as I was going around the interstate, but as we were going just unexpectedly, the rear end of the car starts going a little sideways, a little shh, shh. Sh- and, you know, when it does that and it just starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger and you start, like, turning the wheel this way and that way and that way and that way. And then all of a sudden we did the 180 degree. And we were now in the median facing the opposite direction. And so, you know, I thought, well, I, I know how to get cars unstuck. You know, you put it in drive and, you know, give it gas. And it was like, put it in reverse. And it, the car was going nowhere. We were completely stuck. I got out and looked and, and the, the bottom of the car was actually like in snow where they had plowed the roads and it had gotten deep on the corner. So we were, we were v- stuck. I mean, we, there was no way out and we just found ourselves there. Try, as much as we wanted the car to be unstuck, as much as we wanted it not to happen, I'm like, honey, we just have to call tow truck. I mean, we are just stuck. We have no way of getting out of this it just is what it is now I tell you that story because we're going to talk about this phrase today it is what it is because many times in life we find ourselves in these moments where it is what it is we find ourselves in in life stuck in a situation that we wish we could change we wish we could alter we wish we could get out of it we wish we could make it end but it just is what it is i mean like the the white chevy lumina being stuck it's just stuck and we find ourselves in life stuck wishing that we weren't but not knowing quite how to get out of it here's some of the different areas that it often happens in relationships sometimes it's a marriage there are probably people in this room that feel like uh, in a marriage, is kind of stuck. I wish it wasn't this way, but it, it is. I don't really know exactly what to do to change it. It's not what I dreamed about, but it is what it is. Or maybe it's parenting. Maybe you're in a relationship with your child, your child has done things, gone places, married a person, isn't what you dreamed for your child. You wish you could change it, but... You can't and it just is what it is. Or maybe it's someone in your family, a brother or sister or an in-law or stepbrother that's in your family that causes lots of conflict and you just wish that that wasn't the case. But every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, every holiday, every family reunion, it's just the tension over and over and over and you wish it wasn't that way because you just feel stuck in this situation. But it is what it is. Finances are another issue sometimes where we feel stuck. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you have a business that, that went under. Maybe you went bankrupt, debt, whatever. Sometimes we feel stuck in our financial situation, professionally, occupationally. Sometimes we feel you might feel stuck in a job. You have a job. It's like a dead end job. You feel underemployed, but you wish it could change, but it doesn't. You can't really quit it because you have um, responsibilities, but you just feel stuck. Maybe it's health. Maybe you have some kind of chronic condition. Maybe you received a report back from the doctor that told you, you know, you're gonna have this the rest of your life. And it's not what you want. It's not what you wish. You wish you could fix it. You wish you could change it, but you just can't. Or maybe somebody in your life has some kind of health condition and and you have to help them. You have to take care of them. You have to be responsible for them. And it just is what it is. You can't see an end in sight. You don't think it's er actually ever gonna get better. Maybe it's academics. Maybe for you, it's, y- you're never going to be, get the, into the degree program that you want. You're never going to have the high, high enough GPA. It's too late to make it into this degree program, to get into that grad school, to get into that doctorate program, and it just is what it is. You just feel stuck. So we're, When that happens, we start believing different lies. There are lies that we think and and we believe, feelings from our struggle. And I don't know what your struggle is, but I know that you have one or you have two or you have three. And here's some of the lies that we tell ourselves. Um, I'll never be happy again. Can we go to that slide? Yeah, I'll never be happy again. You, you look at it and you're like, I, I will never, ever, ever be happy. Whatever I'm going through, maybe there's an earlier time in your life when you think, I wish I could go back to eighth grade or I wish I could go back to my junior year in high school. I wish I could go back to my sophomore year in college or when we were first married. Because what I'm in now, I, I'm just not happy and I'm never gonna be happy again. And, and there's that lie that we tell ourselves. Another lie is, um how can anything good come from this? We ask ourselves, I'm in this situation, I'm stuck, nothing good is ever gonna come from this. And we don't want cliche answers, we don't want people saying things, you know, they just try to make it feel better, or people say, oh, don't worry, be happy, and you're like, shut up, okay, I don't wanna hear that. Another lie is that no one else understands. You think, no one else understands what I'm going through. Okay, no one else gets it. And you actually get mad at people when they try to help you because you're like, you don't understand. You you tell me these things, but you don't understand what I'm going through. Fourth life we often find ourselves believing is that I'm the only person that's ever gone through this because it's lonely. And w- maybe when you're stuck, you feel like no one else really gets it. I'm the only person that's going through this. And you look on fake book and all these people have pictures of their family and, you know, their cat that can dance and, you know, all these wonderful things. And they went to this restaurant and they went to that vacation and they're on that cruise. And you're just like, you know, I just feel stuck. And there's this temptation when we start to feel those things and buy into those four lies that we start to think about God We start to think how that relates to God, and you start to question God. And and there are three kind of ways that are really easy for us to question God. One is that we see God as inattentive. Okay, like, God, are you not paying attention? I mean, maybe you're, like, preoccupied, but, like, I'm experiencing this, I'm going through this, and you don't seem to be doing anything about it. Are you not paying attention? Are you sleeping? Or what is the deal, God? Another thing that we think about God is that maybe he's indifferent. Maybe God doesn't care. I mean, I'm here stuck in this thing. I'm going through this in life. I'm struggling. I'm in this situation. I wish it would end. It is what it is. And maybe God's just indifferent. Maybe God doesn't care. Maybe he doesn't care about me. Maybe he doesn't love me because nothing seems to be getting any better. Or a third struggle that we often have is maybe we think God's irritated. Maybe, Maybe I did something, maybe, perhaps I did something, and this is the result of like what I did or a bad decision that I made or i didn 't make that all of a sudden this is like what I you know uh, deserve, maybe if that sophomore year and spring break down in Daytona Beach you know I know I did a lot of things, and maybe like this is my punishment now. So now I'm enduring this thing in my life. I'm, I'm struggling because God's irritated with me. God's angry at me. But the truth is God is not any of those things. When we find ourselves trying to buy into those temptations, God is not any of those things. Actually, he is the opposite of those things. But if you've ever felt any of them, you are not alone. And there's a guy in the New Testament that felt those very same things. And we're going to look at his story today. It's in the Book of Matthew, chapter 11. So if you want to turn there in your Bible, or we'll have them up on the screen, there's a small outline in the back of your seat if you're a note taker person. But we're going to look at the story of John the Baptist in Matthew, chapter 11, starting with verse 1. And here's what we read about John the Baptist. When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he had given them all of these things that they were to do. He went out to teach and preach in the towns throughout the region. Now, John the Baptist, who was in prison—that's important to note, John's in prison at this time— heard about all the things that the Messiah was doing. Most scholars believe that John was in prison about 18 months at this point, when Matthew 11 is happening. So, John the Baptist finds himself in prison for 18 months— and he hears about all these wonderful things that Jesus is doing, all these miracles, all this walking on the water, all these people doing great things, and he, he kind of begins to wonder. Now John got in prison because, we'll just cover this briefly and you can go back and read it, but um, remember King Herod? in the town of Bethlehem when Jesus was born, they tried to kill all the firstborn kids. Well, he had a son named Herod Antipas. He had another son named Herod Philip, and they had a niece named Herodias. So you kind of see this theme of naming everyone Herod in your family. It's kind of like George Foreman. Doesn't he have like eight kids named George Foreman? Okay, so the same kind of thing. Herod just went on and he just kept naming people Herod. But but anyway, Herod Antipas, Herod Philip, uh, they're they're both kings now, and they have a niece named Herodias. One marries the niece, then he goes on a trip. As he comes back, his niece then marries her uncle, and it it gets really kind of, it's like a Jerry Springer show, okay, that, that was going on. It was a big scandal. Everyone knew it was going on. Well, John the Baptist keeps calling them out. He keeps calling it sin. He keeps going and preaching that this is going on and this is not God's plan. So they get a little ticked off and throw him in prison. So that's how John finds himself in prison. But we have to actually go back seven chapters to really understand the tension that's going on, okay? So if you're following along in your Bible, hold your finger there in Matthew 11, To go to Matthew chapter four. We're gonna look at two verses that are gonna help us understand the tension and the dynamics that are going that John finds himself in prison. Here's what we read. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, so this is right we're going back 18 months. This is right when John gets arrested. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, now, a little background about John the Baptist. He and Jesus were cousins. He's the one, John baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. Earlier in chapter 11, John ha- Jesus had said that John was the greatest human that had ever walked the planet, okay? So it's not like they didn't know each other. This was a, this was a, they they knew each other. There was this great relationship. So what do you expect Jesus to do when he finds out that John the Baptist has been put in prison? What would you think? Go visit him, send him a card. Okay, hire him a lawyer. uh, Maybe give Herod and all his family like severe diarrhea, you know, that that would have been a possibility. Like any of these things would have been possible for Jesus to do when he finds out that his great friend, John the Baptist, has now been put in prison for something that he didn't do. But this is what we read in Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee, which is the opposite direction. And he went first to Nazareth, then he left there and moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to you and I because those are just names of places and we're usually not very good on ancient Middle Eastern geography, so we don't really fully understand what that means. So let me show you a map that will help you appreciate what's going on. Okay, so here's the map. So Jesus was in Judea, which is down here and in, in right, right here. When he hears that John gets put in prison, which is in Machaerus, Jesus went north to Galilee. He went the opposite direction that John was. He's like, oh, I hear John's in prison. Okay, I'm gonna go the opposite direction. He goes to Nazareth, and then it said he went to Capernaum, which is right up here, beside the Sea of Galilee. Okay, so why would Jesus do that? He goes the opposite direction. Not only that, let me show you a couple pictures, and it even gets better. Go to the next slide. Okay, there is Herod's palace in Machaerus, all right? You could still go there today. This is a modern picture. This is a huge mountain, and his palace was on top. The dungeon was in the bottom. You can see the little road and the trees. I mean, this is, this is huge. It's very hot, very dusty, very arid. This is where John finds himself. And back in that day, when you got put in prison, you pretty much got left in prison, okay? You didn't have like a hearing date coming up. Um, you didn't have a lawyer that was gonna come and visit you. Matter of fact, you didn't even get food, You had to have friends come and give you food or you didn't eat. That's just the way that it works. So John the Baptist finds himself there for 18 months. Now Jesus, he went to the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum, right? Let's go to that slide. All right, there's Jesus. He's at the beach. (laughs) John's in prison and Jesus goes the opposite direction and goes to the beach, sitting under a palm tree at Waterside. So... Why do I tell you all that? I I want you now to understand fully how John the Baptist felt in this situation. It just is what it is for John. And he asked the question that you would ask is like, Jesus, why aren't you doing anything about this? Okay, I am stuck in prison. I don't wanna be stuck in prison. I didn't even do anything to deserve it. And why aren't you coming to do anything about it? It's been 18 months, I'm still sitting in prison. And he's wondering the same thing. He's like, Jesus, are you just inattentive? Are you not paying attention that I'm in prison? Are are you indifferent? Do you not care that I'm in prison? Are are you irritated at me? Did I do something wrong that, that you're not helping? And so John has some of his peeps go find Jesus to ask them a question. So we go back to Matthew 11, and here's what we find. So John sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? I mean, in other words, it's like, Jesus, we thought you were the Messiah. We thought that you were here to help us, but I've been in prison for 18 months and I'm beginning to wonder if you really are who you say you are because if you were who you said you were, I don't understand why you're not fixing this, why you're not doing something about it. I thought you loved me. I thought you cared about me. So John sends his guys to find Jesus. They, they go all the way to Capernaum. They find Jesus by the beach under a palm tree and they're like, dude, John sent us here to ask you this question. Like, are, are you really the Messiah or did we just get confused about this? And when we go back, we're not even going to tell him that you're at the beach under a palm tree because he will totally flip out if he hears that. So wh- what's the deal, Jesus? John the Baptist felt just like you and I when we feel stuck in something in our life. We begin to question, God, where are you? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. Verse four, Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. So Jesus says, yeah, tell, tell John everything's good on my end and I am doing great things for everybody else. Go back and tell John that. I'm doing all these great things for everybody else. Not him, but for everybody else. And the application for you and I is when we find ourselves hanging out in Macaris, when we find ourselves stuck, when we find ourselves in one of these situations in life where it is what it is, God can still love us. Jesus can still love us, just like he did John the Baptist. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care. It doesn't mean that God has given up on us. But God can love us, is loving us, and maybe you're going through that very thing right now. And what Jesus says next is really fascinating. Verse six, and he tells them, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. Now that's really interesting because Jesus is saying, blessed is the one who does not interpret my silence as absence, Cause just because I'm not doing anything doesn't mean that I'm not there. Just because I'm not doing anything doesn't mean that I don't care. Blessed is the person who trusts me even when their prayers aren't answered the way that they want them to be answered. Blessed is the person who continues to follow me even when they're in a situation that I choose not to remove. That's what Jesus is saying in this. In the application for us is very much the same because Jesus knew what John was going through and your heavenly father knows everything that you're going through and he is still there and just because he is silent does not mean that he is absent. Now, I want to shift gears and we're going to move out of this passage in Matthew and go over to the book of James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 and we're going to pick up three verses they are going to now take this whole concept that John is experiencing and that we experience and put application to it. So James chapter 1 verse 2. This is what we read. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now that's not easy for us. In fact, that's kind of what Matt has been talking about the last few weeks in this series on on Philippians where Paul was in prison and he's talking about joy. And, And it's the fact that joy is not connected to circumstances. And that's hard for us to kind of wrap our arms around, but, but in some ways we understand joy is not connected to circumstances. So James goes on verse 3. Well, hold on, let's, let's go. Here's our temptation. Let me put it on the screen. Go to the next slide if you would, Tim. Our temptation is that when we have difficulty, we equate difficulty to doubt, okay? Okay? Difficulty equals doubt. That's the way our brains think. That's our human nature. So when things are difficult, we start doubting, God, are you there? God, do you care? God, did I do something wrong? God, why is this happening to me? We don't, we, our brains are wired to think that our difficulty means that God doesn't care about us. But James challenges that mindset in verse three. He says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So trials cause us to doubt or question God. When we experience tough times, we're like, God, are you serious? God, are, I mean, this is actually happening to me. I'm stuck in this marriage. I'm stuck in this job. My, uh, my finances just turned upside down. I just went bankrupt. Um, I just got this report from the doctor. I mean, are you kidding I mean, God, I'm like a good person. I go to church. I even put money in those green buckets, you know, at my church. I even serve in kids' ministry once a month downstairs, okay? Seriously, is this really happening to me? Because for us, difficulty equates to doubt. But trials, James says, test our confidence in God. They tested John the Baptist's confidence. So, verse four. So, James says this So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, when it's fully developed, you will be perfect and complete and needing nothing. Now, we all want to be fully developed. We just don't want to go through the process of being fully developed, okay? Because it's like, yeah, that's what I want. I just don't want to do what it takes to get there. Uh, I mean, we want to be perfect, we want to be complete, we want to be mature, but isn't there an easier way? I mean, do you really have to go through there? I mean, can I just get the cliff notes? Can I just like Google it? Can I copy and paste it and like arrive and be mature without going through the whole experience? Because James's outlook is very different than ours. Here's James's outlook. Go to the next slide, Tim, or two more up. James's outlook is difficulty does not equal doubt. <laughs> Difficulty does not have to equal doubt. In fact, difficulty can bring deliverance. In fact, the difficulty that you face, the times where in your life it is what it is and you wish it wasn't, whether relationally, occupationally, financially, health-wise, maybe God is using that, in fact, as a deliverance to deliver you, to teach you some things, to have you experience some things on your way to maturity, and in fact, maybe it's a way that you can even help others when you get to the other side of it. We we don't think of it that way. We think of difficulty equals doubt, but what if difficulty equals deliverance? That's what James is saying. Now let me explain it in in an illustration that we all understand. Some of you know, My two older daughters own a um, home-based bakery. So the little mini cupcakes that they had over there, if you got there early enough, were some cupcakes that they made. And they do a fantastic job. They they actually have more business than than they can even handle because they just do it part-time. But let's use a baking analogy here. Let's say we were gonna bake brownies. And so if we took all the ingredients of the brownies, you know, let's say we got flour, baking soda, we have salt, sugar, oil, margarine, um, eggs, all of those things. Individually, if we just took those things and separated them out and you tasted them, some of them are okay, but some of them are just like, okay, that's not very good. I mean, eating baking soda, you just don't take spoonfuls of it and put it in your mouth and just think that that's just great, right? But, But what happens when you take all those and put them all like a brownie mix or you make it from scratch and you mix it all together and you put it in the oven for 35 minutes at 350 degrees, and it's that magical moment when you open the oven up and you pull out the brownies and you just sniff them. Oh, it's just magical, isn't it? And then you cut them up and maybe you're an ice cream person you put the ice cream on top of them and that's good. Maybe you're a tall glass of milk person and you get the tall glass of milk, but you eat the brownies. My point is... The brownies are so good because of what they've gone through. At the very beginning, all the single parts aren't that great, but they're baked. They go through the oven, and they go through the fire, and they go through this process. And when they do, they come out on the other end as this beautiful thing. And perhaps God is using this situation in your life, maybe you're experiencing a difficult time, that God is Allowing you to become fully developed. And at some point when you're on the other side, it may be your very deliverance. For John the Baptist, he wondered and he questioned God. So here's the application for us. Okay, go to the next slide, Tim. Here's the application for you and me in this story. There are times when God is not going to deliver you from struggle, but God is going to deliver you through struggle. And maybe that's where you find yourself right now because we want God to deliver it from us. But God's like, no, I'm going to deliver you through it. And when you go through it on the other side, you will become a different person. You will become the kind of person that that is much more Christ-like. Even though you don't want to go through it, I'm not going to deliver it from you. I'm going to deliver through you this situation because God still loves you. God hasn't abandoned you. And God still cares about you. Now, if you're sitting on one of the end aisles here, I want you to reach over in the bucket and there's these little white cards and I want you to take one and pass it to everyone else. They look just like this because we're gonna wrap things up here in just a second and I'm gonna give you homework, which I know you hate. But here's what I wanna ask you to to do. On this card, is a prayer And then at the bottom is the verse in James that we've looked at today. And here's what I want to challenge you to do, if you would just accept this challenge. Monday through Saturday, so six days, would you take 30 seconds to read this card in the morning and 30 seconds before you go to bed in the evening to read this card and ask God to help you claim the promises that are on that card that prayer, just say that prayer every day. So take it, put it on your bathroom mirror, put it on your car visor, um, somewhere where you'll see it, tape it on your spouse's forehead. I, I don't know, whatever, wherever, somewhere like you will see it, on your backpack, on your door. And w- would you pray this prayer? And here, here is the prayer. Heavenly Father, grant me the wisdom to recognize that you may not deliver me from my struggle, but you will deliver me through my struggle. Help me endure to mature. Okay, that's the prayer. And and my challenge is that, that for six days, 30 seconds each at the morning and the evening, so for six minutes this next week, that you would just pray that prayer and just say, God, would you just show me now what that means as I start my day? Or as I'm going to sleep, God, thank you for that promise being true. May I get a good night's sleep and wake up tomorrow and really understand that and experience it and know that it's true that you may not deliver me from my struggle, but you will deliver me through my struggle, and you will help me to endure so that I can mature. Now, I was thinking this week of how I was gonna kind of take this whole idea that we've talked about, which has been a little heavy, I understand. It's been a little bit uh, not happy, old fun. Oh, great, we're gonna talk about suffering. And um, I came across this story of this kid named Willie Burton. And when I heard the story, and when I watched this video that I came across, I'm like, that, that's, that captures what we're talking about. And so let me tell you about Willie Burton. Willie Burton graduated in May from this past year, 2014, from Fairdale High School in Fairdale, Kentucky, which is about 30 miles south of Louisville. Willie wrestled all four years he was at Fairdale High School. But Willie had a lot of challenges, he had a lot of things going against him. When he was born, his birth mother didn't want him and gave him up for adoption and actually went looking for people that would actually take Willie. Willie was born premature. He was born with cerebral palsy. So he, he cannot walk. His, his limbs, his lower limbs don't work. He has just limited um, use of his upper limbs and his hands. And he has a speech problem because of the cerebral palsy. But Willie wanted to be on the wrestling team. So when he tried out for the wrestling team, he, he, he can't walk, so when the other guys would go out and run around the track, Willie would take his wheelchair and he would go out there and he would just go around the track in his wheelchair. When they go to uh, a match, a weigh match, they have to pick up Willie out of his wheelchair, put him on the bus, set him down, his teammates do, and then when he gets there, they have to pick him up and take him back down. When he goes to wrestle, he, he starts at the end of the mat and they set him out of his wheelchair and he actually crawls out to the middle but Willie is still a wrestler. No matter what he faces, he is still a wrestler. His freshman year, never won a match. Sophomore year, never won a match. Junior year, never won a match. Senior year, he surpassed the 100 match mark, still had never ever won a wrestling match. So I want you to watch the rest of the story and see what this incredible kid did. You know, there was always that hope that he would pin somebody or or win by points, and, you know, it it never came. Heartbreaking. To watch him crawl out there, you know, and be hoping, you know, you're thinking maybe this would be the time, you know, and he would lose. Sophomore year, junior year, every match he lost. There was times I wanted to give up. I mean, if I'm not going to win, what's the point of doing this? Senior year was no different. The season was coming to an end. Willie remained winless. I have to figure out what I want. What I want my legacy to be here. Do I want it to be a kid that hasn't won, or do I want to push harder than I ever have before? February 11th, 2014. I thought going to be like any other night, you know, Willie's going to go out, and he's going to be ready to wrestle, but, you know, he's going to not be able to win. Short time, short time, drive to it, drive to it, get you, two, get you two, drive, drive, drive. Gets toward the middle, you know, really close match. Go, drive, drive, Willie, drive. And, I mean, it just got electric. Go, go. The referee's eyebrows are going up, and people are standing you just want to will him through it, you know? The final period. The match is tied. Willie secures a cradle. He can win this. He can win this. Keep going. Willie turns his opponent's shoulders on the map and takes the lead. In over 100 matches, Willie's hand was raised in victory. It meant that all my hard work I didn't it didn't it didn't, didn't go to waste, and it wasn't it wasn't just for no reason. Life, 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 go win, Willie! Don't give him nothing, Willie. Four days later, regionals. It kind of hit me like, if I don't win this, this is my last match I'm ever going to have. Let's go, Willie. Send your last match. You got this. Let's go, Willie. Drive two, drive two. Turn through. Uh-oh. Use your hands The base. After 40 seconds, it was over. I wish I had his heart. His never say die attitude has caused me to look at myself and say, Don't you dare quit. You could tell when somebody's a wrestler. They walk differently, they tug differently. Wrestling, that made me who I am right now. My favorite part of that video is uh, there at the end, and he actually loses in the regionals, but um, what all those people just stand and clap for him. And here's how I think that relates to us. One of these days, I pray that all of us, when our time on earth is done that we will be in heaven and there will be a great, great cloud of witnesses and there will be people cheering and there will be people clapping and there will be someone that will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And no matter what it is that you're going through in your life, no matter what struggles it is that you face, God may not take those struggles from you, but he will deliver through you and allow you to come out on the other side and I wish sometimes as a pastor, when I hear people that have hard things going on in their life, I wish I'm like, ah, oh, if I could just tell you this, and it would all be better. Or if we could just fix it, or if here's a verse. It, but, but, But life is just not like that. It's just not that simple. John the Baptist, the greatest man who ever lived, found himself in prison for 18 months for something he never did. And he experienced the same doubt and the frustrations that you and I. But I love that video of Willie because I see someone who just like... Grabbed it and took it and was like, "I." there's lots of reasons why I shouldn't, there's lots of reasons why I should quit, but I am not going to quit. And my prayer is that you take that card this week, challenge you in the morning, in the evening to say that prayer so that you will endure to mature because God may not take your struggle from you, but he will deliver you through it. Let's pray together. Hey God, thanks so much for, uh, everyone hanging on today through kind of a very heavy topic and and a couple of passages. But Father, we, we don't like struggle. We would try to do anything we could to get away from it. But the reality is, in our lives, once, twice, three times, maybe even more, all of us are gonna find ourselves there. And for the person that finds themselves there right now, I just pray that you would promise them that your silence is not absence, And that, Father, you will... Help them to be fully developed if they will endure and realize that you are doing a work in their life even though you're not answering their prayers as they ask, even though that you seem a long way away. Father, remind them of that. Help us to hold on to that promise. Help us to not give up. Help us to have that attitude to know that, that in the end, Father, you are still a great God and that you will be faithful and you have a reward for us. And help us to claim those promises and live them out and give us the strength every day, to get up and live that way. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to move to a time of taking the Lord's Supper together, so there will be